Whenever I'm speaking or talking about prayer in a context like this, I always feel like I should be at some kind of a 12-step program. Hi, I'm Mike, and I really struggle with prayer. I think if I were to convene a group like that, quite a few people here would join me. Um, we struggle with prayer, many of us. I know very few people, I don't know anybody who say, I have an absolutely thriving prayer life. And if they did, they probably would say so. We struggle with prayer. We have a sense that it's something we ought to do. We, and we do, we pray, but we ought to be doing it better. It ought to be deeper, more regular, more persistent. And we want to deep down. Even if that flame is just flickering, we have a desire to pray and a sense that we ought to. But it's one of those cases, if it, if it was ever the case, it is with prayer. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, the goal here this morning is not to lay a burden of guilt on you for the way you feel about your prayer life so that you would leave here and say, I just better try harder and, and pray more. We, we don't want to perpetuate that cycle. I don't want you to hear God, think that's God's voice in your mind saying, why can't you get your act together and just pray more? You know you ought to. And, and again, we know we ought to. We know we want to. The goal here is not to guilt anybody. It's to come to Jesus, who wants to lead us into a life of deeper prayer, and have him shape and reshape us and lead us into a life of deepening prayer. We do need discipline. We do. We, we need to learn to set apart time. We need, even when we don't feel like it, we need to pray. There's a reason we call prayer a spiritual discipline. But discipline alone is not going to sustain a prevailing life of prayer. We need to, to get in touch with, with some of the roots that keep us from praying, to address these and to, from the heart, uh, want to pray more. And I think one of those roots, uh, one of the ways we can understand this passage is, um, could be a lack of confidence. A lack of confidence that we're, we're praying according to God's will or, or questioning whether God's really listening or, or will really answer. See, when we know we're praying according to God's will, when we have that confidence and we know He's listening and will answer, that is going to drive us from the heart to want to pray. We combine that with the discipline, then we'll be in a growing, deepening prayer life. So that's where we want to go today in Luke chapter 11, to sit at the Master's feet together for a few minutes as He teaches us about prayer. Let's see um, three ways that he shapes our prayer lives. First of all, first Jesus shapes our practice of prayer. So in verse 1, the very beginning of this episode, we read, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus goes on to do that. He says, okay, when you pray, say this. But before he even gets to the explicit instruction on how to pray, the lesson has already begun. Because his disciple saw him praying and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
This was Jesus' regular pattern throughout his whole life. He would get alone with God for prayer. I think you'd agree with me that nobody lived a more fruitful life than Jesus. No one showed greater fruit of the Spirit in his character. No one showed God more to the world than Jesus. And you say, well, of course, he was the divine Son of God. And we who confess him agree. True. He was and is. But everything that Jesus did in his life, everything he came to be in his human life, it flowed out of a deep relationship of prayer with God. And the disciples saw him doing this. They saw this was his pattern. And they did not say, well, there's Jesus doing his Messiah thing. They, said, they saw him praying and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus did not say, well, I'm doing my Messiah thing. He said, okay, when you pray, do this. So even before we get to that instruction on prayer, we see from Jesus' example that he would lead us to a life of getting alone regularly with God. So the first question, application-wise, is are you getting alone regularly for time with God? We're not trying to promote a hyper-individualistic approach to the Christian life. We pray with others. I hope you pray with others. And you pray uh, with your family around the dinner table. If you're married, maybe you and your spouse pray bedside. Pray in your community group. We pray together here. We come for worship. We live this life in community. We pray in community. And yet, just like Jesus who lived in community, we need to get alone with God. God wants us there. Jesus wants to lead us there. As a foundational place out of which all the rest of our Christian life flows. So are you getting alone with God? And you have to find your rhythm. I'm not going to say there's some law about how you have to do this or when. Some people are right up in the morning and that prayer and you may be midday, evening... When's your time? Where's your place? Some people sit. Some put a kneeler in their home. Some need to go for a walk and pray. There is there's flexibility here to find your rule, your rhythm. But we should all be getting alone with God. So is that something that's happening? Is it happening pretty much daily? Any of you miss a day or only have a few minutes one day, you don't have to think your day's cursed because you missed that time. But if you're going days on end, or weeks, or months, and not getting alone with God, I hope you can hear Jesus, through his example, calling you to regularly get alone with God. So he's shaping our practice of prayer. But then we, when we get alone, or when we're with others, what do we say? How are we supposed to pray? And here's where Jesus goes to what we call the Lord's Prayer. Someone's thinking here, I think we kind of know how to pray. It's not that complicated. And we know the Lord's Prayer. A lot of us would pray it every week in church. If you're a daily office kind of person, you pray it every day. If you do all the offices through the day, you'll pray this several times through the day. If you, I think until about the mid-80s, I know when I was a kid, we still prayed this in public school. Like, we know the Lord's Prayer and we know how to pray, don't we? 
But don't miss this, that these disciples of Jesus, they were children of Israel. They grew up in synagogue and temple. They had the Psalms. I mean, they knew how to pray, and yet they say, Lord, teach us to pray. As your disciples, teach us distinctly what it means to live and to pray as your disciples. And so, all that to say, if you start hearing teaching about the Lord's Prayer, you start to tune out, like, I know how to pray. Let's just maybe think, realize that we still have much to learn and to relearn. It's the Lord's Prayer. Maybe not the first time. It's not the first time you've heard it. Maybe learned about it. But maybe be listening. Is Jesus saying something to me that I need to learn for the first time or learn again about how to pray? Now, we normally pray this from Matthew's Gospel. It has more detail. In fact, I cannot remember a single time ever in public or in private, praying Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It is pretty scaled down compared to Matthew's. And that's fine, we can pray Matthew's. But it has all the same basic ingredients and the same basic direction and shape. And that's the main thing I want us to see here today, the the shape of this prayer, to see how Jesus uses this prayer to shape our priorities, to flip them right side up which is something we desperately need. Born in our fallen condition, God's not at the center of our lives. Our priority and focus is not upward. It's inward, it's ourselves, it's our needs, it's our lives. And the whole process and purpose of being reconciled to God and becoming Jesus' disciples is to flip this all right side up. God at the center, our focus on God. And Jesus uses prayer here to help shape our priorities in this direction. Because what we pray for is a reflection of our priorities. And what we pray for can also shape our priorities. So see prayer as an opportunity to get oriented, reoriented again and again in a Godward direction. And we see this direction in the prayer. And we can only look at the forest and not the trees. I'm so tempted always to get into the, the trees and the details. But we have to do a quick flight over the Lord's Prayer. Begins addressing the Father. This was radical. We take this for granted. But God was referred to as Father 15 times in the Old Testament, and he was never addressed as Father in prayer. So they had some sense that God was Father, but they didn't have this level of depth and intimacy and being able to approach God as his children coming before the Father who loves us. And Jesus teaches us to come before him as Father. Yes, the, the sovereign, almighty, holy, creator, sustainer of the universe, the Savior, is your loving Father. And he's also the sovereign, almighty creator, sustainer, savior. And so we pray with reverence and worship, hallowed be your name. Wanting God's name, all that he is, to be reverenced, to be regarded for who he is. We're not just being pious here. It's really a prayer that in my life and in my family and my church and my community that we would know God as he is. And even those wonderfully austere Presbyterians 
get it right at the beginning of the Westminster Confession that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So the prayer, hallowed be your name, is a prayer for God's honor and glory, but that we would then be getting centered in life and enjoying God. Now we're in the place where we can truly live, putting God first and at the center, then praying that His kingdom would come, that His rule would be established everywhere. Because where God rules, where, where Jesus rules, life flourishes. There's shalom. Peace, love, joy, justice, all God's goodness, and all that troubles us and ails us in life, brokenness, pain, suffering, sickness, hatred, murder, addiction, racism, where God's kingdom reigns, all of that is eradicated. So we pray and long for the coming of God's kingdom, the, the future coming, but that even now, and we'll borrow a little from Matthew here, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Even now, already, while the kingdom is not fully yet. So halfway through the prayer, we haven't even got to personal petition yet. But now we get there. And it's simple. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread, standing shorthand for all of our, our temporal needs. Food, money, shelter. All of our, our material felt needs. We Pray for them, not just for ourselves, for others. Give us today our daily bread. There's a, clearly a focus, a sense that we're praying for the, the essentials here. <laughs> not praying for, for riches and for, to have the whole world and our absolute best life now. Give us our daily bread. And as the petitions continue, they quickly shift again in a spiritual direction. Forgive our sins and confess sins in prayer. We release others of any debts we have against them. I can't pray with a lot. I can't repent with much sincerity if we're holding bitter grudges against our neighbor. So we release them from their debts and pray that that God would lead us not into temptation, lead us away from it, help us to resist, and put sin to death, provide a way out. But pray that we wouldn't be overcome in all the adversities we face in life. Where, the enemy prowls like a lion wanting to devour us. We pray that God would preserve us, that we would be growing in Christ-likeness rather than being spiritually destroyed through these adversities. So see the shape of the prayer then begins in a Godward direction, sets our focus on God, His name, His glory, His kingdom, and then moves to our petitions and our needs. The material, but mainly the focus is on the spiritual. I want to be clear here. God cares about you as a person and about all your needs. We are not Gnostics here. Like Susan's devotion, I've been called to worship today. We are embodied souls. God cares about you as a whole person. Yet it's unmistakable that the way our felt needs are brought into prayer here, they're, they're, they're brought in, tempted to say, well, let's say subordinated to, they're, they're relativized, they're brought in under the greater priorities of God's kingdom. I think we could say something like this, that see, God does care about your whole person. And in the kingdom of God, we, clearly Jesus cares about wholeness and health and provision. But God caring a whole lot more about who you are and who you're becoming in Christ 
or the job you have, or what your house looks like, how much money is in the bank. All those things matter. But they don't come first and they're not the main thing. And all this reflects what Jesus says elsewhere in, in a wonderfully tight verse, statement, that really captures the essence of our life as disciples. What he wants us to, to aim for is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, these material things, will be added to you. What you truly need, God will provide. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the Lord's Prayer is really a way of praying that out. The Lord's Prayer is con condenses all of Jesus' teaching into a, into a short prayer form. And he wants us to seek first what God wants most for us. And yes, to bring our needs in under that. And so, you can take the Lord's Prayer Luke's or Matthew's, and pray it as is, and we do. You can see it as like a model, an outline of sorts, and amplify it with details. That's a good thing to do as well. And you can see in it a, a grammar for prayer, a dynamic. And you could, you could look at your prayers. Sometimes you're wondering, what do I pray for? Just You could even condense it to that other statement Jesus gives us. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and these other things too. Get the right dynamic going in our prayer lives. And so as you look at your prayer over the last little while, and you look at the Lord's Prayer and hold it up like a mirror, what do you see? Where's the emphasis? What's the proportion? What's the balance? Is it all I need, I need, I need? It is the talk about God and His kingdom is just a, a quick little preamble and then right to a lot of need. Or maybe, tend the other direction, you can say some great things about God, but your prayers are a little cold and austere, and you don't even really get to the personal need. That would be telling, too. Again, goal here is not to, it's not guilt. Look at this prayer as a mirror, and Jesus is graciously giving it to us, and we say, where does my prayer life need to grow? What's just one way I can start to move my prayer life in a more kingdom-focused uh, direction? looking at you know, your past a little while, and then as you head into those times alone with God this week, just keep an eye on it. Let Jesus move you in the right direction and flip your priorities right side up. So, if we're getting alone regularly for prayer, if we're learning to pray in this kingdom vision, we still need confidence in prayer. To know that as we do this, God is really listening. That he will really answer. And so Jesus gives his parable to assure us of this, to deepen our confidence in prayer. The parable, there are three friends in it. There's a guy who's been on a journey, shows up at his friend's house, middle of the night, needs food. There's the guy whose house he shows up at, it's his friend who needs to provide him some food, doesn't have any. He goes to his other friend, this neighbor, his family is all asleep, and he asks him for food. Those are the three, and Jesus wants us to identify ourselves with the friend in the middle. We're the one going and knocking on the door because we have a pressing need. The request itself 
is, is not unusual. Friend needs, friend shows up and needs bread. Hospitality dictates in that culture, I'm going to put bread on the table. But I don't have any, I'm going to go to my friend's house and ask him. Your neighbor shows up needing bread, hospitality dictates, I'm going to provide him with some bread. So that part of the story is perfectly normal. The issue is the time of day. It's midnight. Sometimes people arrive late when they're traveling. I, I've driven to New York City two times to visit my brother and his family. The first time I arrived at 3 a.m. The second time I arrived at 3.30 a.m. I'm the kind of person, I get on the road a little later than I planned, and I kind of like to stop and smell the flowers along the way. Quaint little town, let's go for a, a walk, and there are consequences to moving like that. In both cases, my brother, wife, they opened the door, let us in, gave us a bed. They didn't put food on the table. <laughs> different culture, different values, and that's fine. Now, this guy's showing up late at night. Like, there was a reason they would have traveled and show up later in the day. And if you're traveling on foot in the Middle East, it's very, very hot in the day. So they would arrive late. But even here, the census, he's arrived really late. And his friend doesn't have anything for him. Maybe he wasn't expecting him to show up or he's so late. He figured, well, he's not coming today. But he has to go to his friend's place. Now, the friend, his family's all asleep. And picture it. It's like this one-room, simple home. And all the family just sleeps out in the same area. A big bolt, a wooden kind of latch thing locking the door for security. And this guy's compounding on the door in the middle of the night. And... and Jesus says, this guy's going to think, like, my family's sleeping. What are you doing? Don't, why are you bothering us? Well, i got to say, this guy comes across as curmudgeonly. But I sympathize with him. Right? His kids are sleeping. If you have children, you know it is a crime to wake a sleeping child. My sister has a four-month-old. Baby sleeps in like 45-minute shifts. My sister, if she's lucky, we got a three-hour stretch of sleep in a row. If you show up at my sister's house in the middle of the night looking for food, you're not getting it. This parable is going to end very differently. And my sister's a nice person. And this guy, see, Jesus says, well, hospitality normally would dictate that he would get this for him. But you're showing up at an hour when he's not even a Christian. And yet Jesus says he's going to get you the food. And it's not really because he's being a neighbor. It's because of the man's impudence, the neighbor who's not, his boldness in asking. And I don't think the point is he's saying, well, it's really annoying, it's really inconvenient, but I appreciate a bold man. <laughs> I think the point is more like he's knocking, it's a disruption, and just to get him to go away, he gets up and gives him the bread. Jesus doesn't draw here. There's an implication here that he is the, that, that God corresponds to that man in the house. If even that guy would get up and give the bread, how much more God, who's never, you never catch him at a bad moment, he's never disturbed or annoyed with you showing up. But what Jesus draws out explicitly here is that he wants us to think of we're like that guy who has this desperate need. He says, ask. Make your requests known to God. So name your needs before God. Don't just let them be vague. If something's troubling you, address it to God. Name it. Seek. 
It pictures persistence in prayer. There's sometimes we just have one-offs. Pray something and you never think of it again. But there's certain things that are burdens in your life. Keep praying for them. Be persistent. And knock. And not just knock, knock. It's like pound on the door. Pound on God's chest. We come in with all reverence. Father, hallowed be your name. And when you come in like that, you can pound on your Father's chest and be bold about your need. Jesus is the one inviting us to do that. And he says, when you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door will be open. I was in a board of a school a number of years ago, and we were in an important season in the life of that church. They needed a new, uh, that school. They needed a new president. And so we were searching for someone, and it's hard to find a, a good school president. And we found someone we thought was perfect. Went through this whole process. Thought they were coming, and it turns out they decided not to. And we were pretty discouraged, bewildered, didn't know what to do next, so we prayed and kept searching. And then we found someone who earlier we had wanted but wasn't interested and now was interested. And the process got to the point where all they had to do was pretty much sign on the line, ink the contract, and it was done. But then a health scare came up for his wife. And she had to go with some tests, and if those tests came back, the wrong way. He wasn't going to be able to come. He would have to care for his wife. And of course, everyone knew that was the right thing. So we sat around in the board meeting processing this. And we were, again, just discouraged and like, what's going on here? Not again. And one of the guys said, let's pray. And so we were praying. And I felt in that time of prayer to just be somewhat bold. And I prayed what was on my heart. I said, Father, would you, like, we don't want to be discouraged again. And would you would you spare us of disappointment upon disappointment? Like, we really, we're, we're struggling here. Would, would, you, would you spare us yet another disappointment? And we finished our prayer time. And one of the guys had received a text while we were praying, and he shared it with the rest of the group. It was from the candidate saying the tests had come back, they were negative, and he was good to come. And eventually he did come. As we sat around that meeting that moment, it's one of those, there is a God moments and I not like I'm not the hero of that story. They weren't looking at me when I was my great we were just having those moments saying, Man, God is great and He answers prayer and, and many of you have those stories of some bold and clear prayer you made and God answered in an unmistakable way. I know the elephant in the room is that it doesn't always happen that way. We have a lot of stories of things we were praying for boldly and we didn't receive. The implication in all this is everything we pray according to God's will will receive if it's his will. But that's not, I mean, I don't want to take away from what Jesus is saying. He wants to urge you. Name what you need, persist in it, and be bold and know that God will always answer according to what he truly knows you need. And see where Jesus ends this parable and this whole teaching is to bring us to this point, to really believe in the goodness of the Father. To know that when you pray, however he answers, he's a good Father. We know how to give good gifts to our children. If your son asks you for food, what are you going to do? Give him something that harms him? If, you're, if your son asks you, dads, Dad, can I have some pop and chips? A lot of the time you say, no, I don't think that's fast. Sometimes you're going to give it. A lot of times you say, that's not what you need. Your kid says, Dad, 
Can I have a piece of that fresh baked sourdough and a glass of water? Not only are you giving that food, your heart is, well, you're proud, you're happy, your son's asking for the right thing. The whole Christian life is about learning what those good things are. Learning to ask for them. The Lord's Prayer condenses that all into prayer form. And Jesus is saying, when you pray for what is truly good, you can know the Father's going to give it. It might not be the form you expect, but we can trust that whatever he gives is best. Amen. So, I hope you don't leave here feeling guilty. i got to go pray more. I hope instead you hear Jesus calling you, inviting you to a life of deeper prayer. Wanting to lead you to be alone with God, to pray a kingdom vision, and to trust the Father knows what you need and wants it for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this gracious gift of prayer, for Jesus teaching on it. Jesus, would you lead us deeper? Father, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to trust you? We thank you that you are good, that you want the very best for us always, that we go humbly and with joy, with this confidence. In Christ's name, amen.